1: Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle podcast on a Monday. we got a very special show for you. For not only did USC up over 500 again, we have Coach Harvey Hyde like we normally do on Monday, but we're going to add an extra guest today. So we'll have a second guest, a little bit longer podcast. i uh, help you through the week because USC has a bye week. We're going to bring in Paul Meyerberg from the uh, USA Today. Covers college football, used to be with the New York Times, does a great job. Uh, so we're to get him on the show and kind of talk about the cultural landscape, what the national, you know, pundits think of USC and all that. So hope you guys enjoy. If you have any questions or comments, podcast at uscfootball.com's email address. You can call us at 641-715-3900, extension 816-646. Or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. We've got all the information on how to get a hold of us there. You can even leave leave a voicemail right from your computer or your mobile device uh, on our website, peristylepodcast.com. We're on iTunes, we're on Audio Boom, we're on Stitcher, all you know, tune in, all the different kind of podcast apps you can get. Uh you can find us there on iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. We have our own dedicated URL on iTunes. So it's real easy to get on there, subscribe, leave some positive feedback, leave us a five star rating. We really would appreciate that. All right. Without further ado, let's bring in the coach. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. What is up, coach? How you doing?
0: Well, it's another beautiful morning. We had a little rain up here and, uh, I really like it. It sort of freshens the air and washes off the trees and, and I just hope it continues. But it looks like on Thursday here in Southern California, we're supposed to get back to the heat. They, somebody said around 100. I can't believe it, but, uh, well, be, probably will be, Ryan.
1: Man, yeah, it was, was kind of weird waking up to rain this morning. We haven't had that for a while around here and, uh, yeah, but it's going to be back. We'll get the Santa Ana winds coming in a couple of days, and uh, it'll be hot again. But no game this week for USC. Next Thursday, the Trojans will host the California Golden Bears, the Sturdy Golden Bears. So we we'll got some time to talk a little USC football, and I think USC football has some time to enjoy now having a winning record. It's been several weeks since that's happened. So we want to talk about that. We're going to answer the questions and wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California tickets, sctickets.com. Hey guys, the Dodgers are going to be in town with the hosting the Cubs in LA for next three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. If you want to go to any of those games, you go to sctickets.com. They can help you out. If you want to go to the Thursday USC Cal game next week. Of course, you can go there as well. So lots of different options for you. If you want to get tickets, not just in LA, but across the country, sctickets.com. They've helped us for years, sponsored us for years, and if you need tickets, uh, check them out. I think I'm going to the game on Thursday now, Coach, uh, the Cubbies and the Dodgers, so that should be a good one. I was a little worried. I didn't know if it was going to be a sweep one way or the other, but now it's tied one-to-one, so we definitely have a Thursday game.
0: Well, I think it's awesome. I think it's great for L.A. to have a winning team and uh, sort of picks up the slack here right now as far as the Lakers, and I think it's great. The Clippers are doing well. They should rebuild, and... Uh, of course, the Rams had a tough trip back to Detroit. Now they're off to London. So uh, we'll see what happens with the NFL in town. And, of course, we've got the Ducks starting and we've got the Kings starting. Hey, we've got a lot of things happening in Southern California, Ryan.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, that's why a lot of people live here. We've got a lot of stuff going on. And uh, it's not just USC football, but that's why we're here. We're here to talk some USC football. And the Trojans took care of the pretty much hapless uh, Arizona Wildcats 48-14 over the weekend and, uh, winning three in a row. First road win for Clay Helton coach. Um, you know, as the permanent head coach that USC hadn't, you know, been had, oh, I think, a zero for six on road or neutral site games. Uh, so it's a nice, uh, nice bounce back win, even though Arizona's kind of terrible, but it still kind of splits the fan base a little bit, coach. And that's, uh, that's what we're seeing now. I think when USC was struggling and one and three, the fan base was kind of united. Now that USC is on the winning ways again, there's fans that are still in the, uh, you know, kind of where where they're the same mindset when USC was one and three, uh, and then there's other fans that are like, hey, you know, we've turned it around, everything's getting better. Um, so I think some of the questions have to deal with that, coach. So I'm going to jump into the first one. Uh, from Clay, this is from Klain in Seattle, who says, "Not quite international. Uh, it's very close, though. He's very close to the Canadian border up there." But he says, "Hey, Ryan and team, does it appear?" The SC is getting better, or is it just the quality of the opposition? I'm hoping for the former and a big day when the when the Trojans come Seattle way. Uh, where do you see the need for the most improvement over the next two games in order to beat the Huskies? That's Klain and Seattle, Coach.
0: Well, I think it's a combination of both. I, I sincerely feel the Trojans are getting better. They're starting to know each other. They're starting to get a... Uh, rotation, a little bit of a rhythm. The coaching staff is understanding the personnel. They're starting to do things that this team can do. And they all of a sudden discovered a guy that's going to save everybody's job in Sam Darnold. I mean, he is just a phenomenal player. He's a playmaker. He's a great leader. He does everything that you need on your football team. He really is. So I think that obviously is going to make you a better football team. You're you're competing harder. and, And I don't think the team ever... Uh, let up. I think the team has always played hard. The players have bought in. They play hard on offensively and defensively and, and, uh, and I think that, that now when they get themselves in the proper positions and they run the proper routes and the proper blocking schemes and the proper formations and, and the, uh, things that you have to adapt to on offensively and defensively to defeat, uh, defeat your opponent, uh, you, you become a better football team. And I think that this is something that they've learned to do. It's something i'm ha- I'm sorry to say you had to learn about to do this you You should have this in place at the beginning of this season when you start the football season, but you've seen them get better and better and better each week and Arizona wasn't a great football team it's a it's a It's a pack twelve team, but they're not playing at a good rate they've they're down to the third quarterback and went to the fourth quarterback, but they played hard they did their best to try to compete. And they just weren't good enough. I've I've always said that the USC roster is the best roster in the conference. It's just putting them in a position where they can demonstrate their athletic ability and let them do it. Let them play. And I think that Arizona State's a pretty good football team, but they're not what they have been. Let's face it, they're not what they've had been. And Colorado is a team that's better than what it has been. So it isn't like a team that's going to go to the Rose Bowl. I don't think. Maybe it will. But I'm not going to put a hex on them on that. But it was a nice victory for USC in the Coliseum. Utah, I would say Utah is a team that is a good team, coached well, but isn't the team it was a year ago. They don't have a booker. They don't have that type of defense they had or the offensive line they had. And uh, going back the week, you know, Stanford. Let's take Stanford. Stanford has proven that they're not the same team. They're a very intelligent team. They're a team that doesn't beat itself, and I think today's USC team would have beaten Stanford's. Uh, not that Stanford didn't play well against Notre Dame, but how good is Notre Dame? They're a beatable team by USC. USC should beat Notre Dame. So, you know, when you go but now one team, the first game, of the your Utah State will assume that that was a win. And Alabama, they're the number one team in the country. I don't know if anybody can beat Alabama in the country. So I think they could have played better against Alabama. But I don't think anybody could have beaten Alabama. I don't think anybody can beat Alabama now. If there is a team, tell me who it is. And I'll go along with you because you've got the same question mark I do as far as who can beat Alabama on a day when they're ready to play football and they don't beat themselves. The only time Alabama loses is when they have turnovers or beat themselves like Mississippi beat them last year and they had five turnovers. But otherwise, you're not going to beat Alabama. So that's the way I feel. I think USC is getting better. They'll continually get better. They're doing things we've spoke about on this podcast for the last two years. They're starting to get to the things. They've got to improve more still in their tight end uh, in the passing game. They've got to get uh a little bit different, uh improve. And, and I, these are things you see as a, a fan of football. They, they're not containing. They're not getting the rush off the end on the defensive side of the ball. They need to get the rush off the end. They've got to supply uh, pressure, I mean, Quentin Powell would be a good guy to put in there. He's not a big guy, but on a passing situation and let him come off the end or Hutchings or Houston or somebody in the, in the you know, instead of uh, Port Augustine's good on the run, but as far as on the pass, which he can't come off the edge. So you got to have quick guys that, that'll put pressure on the quarterback and keep him contained so that you can come up the middle and get him. So briefly, that's what I'm, trying to summarize it as i'm sorry for one question that took a half
1: hour <laughs> definitely didn't take a half hour coach uh, but you, you mentioned uh port augustine uh i wanted to uh we have a question from rex deep in sec country so he says i love the podcast it's a great way for us on the east coast to keep in the know on usc football Well, glad you like it rex he says first it seems to me that port augustine is having a hard time containing Speedier guys as an and is losing contain. I think he's a great player, but what does Coach Hyde think about possibly moving Porter to inside backer on some plays and bringing in a speedier guy to contain, especially as we start playing some of these wide open teams like Cal? He had a second question, but we'll we'll give you that one first, Coach.
0: No, I agree a hundred percent. You've got to have that. We just spoke on that. awos Awosu is that the way you pronounce his name?
1: Uchenuusu, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, he 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 applies pressure. Now you know he he tips up the balls. He jumps up in the air. He he supplies pressure. He pursues. He can run. Port is a great player, a very physical player, but he doesn't have the speed to get off the edge as far as pass rush. And when the option comes his way or the run read comes his way, he's he does the right read on it, but he doesn't have the speed to get to the guy, and the guy gets around him to the outside. So will they move him inside? I don't know if they'll move him inside. He's a big, strong kid. But I don't think uh, he can play the pass-down situation or the run-read type of speed that you need there. You need really quick guys on the outside. So where they move him, I don't know. They'll keep him probably where he is because you're halfway through your season. But I think you've got to mix it up on passing downs where you can get somebody to come off the edge and contain because every play, if you go back and break down the film, you'll see that uh, many yards, plus yards have come from broken down, breaking down on contains to that side of the field.
1: All right. And then the second part of his question, Coach, he said, well, it's more of a statement. He said, someone needs to have a, quote, come to Jesus with Juju Smith-Schuster about celebrating after scoring and the BS of stepping over other players. Juju is an outstanding player, but he is No good if he's ejected for unsportsmanlike conduct. Tell him to dance on the sideline, but chill out on the field. Fight on from Rex Deep in SEC country.
0: You know, I agree with him. I believe that he's an outstanding player, a great player. He's a leader. He loves the game of football. His future's in football. Uh, And uh, obviously, uh, he's got to act like uh, he's been there before. You remember that old uh, term, he's been there before. I mean, you don't have to. People see what you're doing. People know who you are without your number on the back of your jersey. Uh, the opponents know who you are and respect you or they wouldn't be double covering you. So when you do something nice, it's better to be respected than hated or think you're a, a big shot or shot or not, not respecting what you've just accomplished. And half of the people like that. Half of the people don't. I would worry about what's right. I would do the right thing. And I think that's part of the responsibility of the receiver coach or the head football coach to sort of set him down and say, hey, guy, hey, Juju, let me tell you something. What you're doing, everybody sees what you're doing, but a lot of people don't like it. Why don't you just cool it? Hand the ball to the official, go back, jump up, get with that the chest bump or whatever those guys are doing, celebrate, get off the field, let the defense get on there, the PA team get it, PAT team get out there. I agree 100%. There's a part where well, it goes on. It, it's been going on, okay, and it was worse before. And And you, you can't allow it in practice. You can't allow it all the time, but it becomes a habit, and sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it. But it's something you've got to cool, and you can't allow it to happen. If you watch Alabama play or these teams that are great football teams, you tell me if, if, uh, if they're jumping around like that and doing it. Yeah, they're excited. They scored. They're excited they're winning, but they do it as a team, not an individual. And I think that's what uh, Juju has to learn to do. And and if someone's listening or coach listening, you're not disciplining him. You're doing him a favor.
2: You're really doing him
0: a favor. You're saying, hey, have a sit-down talk with him. And I understand exactly what you're saying.
1: We have a question from the G coach. He said, greetings, guys. This question is for Coach Hyde. We've seen improvement in all phases of the Trojans game, but it's been against less talented teams or teams with a depleted roster. As the head coach, what do you do in order to keep this team focused on fixing the little things that will allow them to play error-free football and, by extension, will allow them to beat the teams they're not supposed to beat, specifically Washington? Love Coach Hyde. Uh, great job, Ryan and everybody. The G.
0: Well, thank you. And the the first thing I always start with is myself. As a head football coach, I start with myself. It's not always correcting someone else's. What can I do better? What can we do better as a coaching staff? If it's getting advice on the outside, if it's bringing a consultant in, if it's sitting down with somebody that says, you've watched this play, here's our first. During a bye week, too, this is a great time to do that. What tendencies do we have? What do you think? What have you seen? What can we add to what we're already doing? Why isn't this play working? What should we counter it with? What do you think? All this and that. Start with yourself as a head football coach. Sure, I understand you've got recruiting and things to do, but you've got a possibility of hoping you can win nine football games this year. And you can't think about Washington yet. You know, to get the Washington to make it mean something, you've got four wins. You've got to get the fifth win first. Then you got to get the sixth win and a seventh win and so on to be able to possibly go nine and three and salvage a great season. Not, not a great season, but a season you can go back and say, if we could play those teams again, which you can't do and it's something to learn so it never happens to you again, this is what we should do. So it starts with the head football coach on how we can get better. Then, of course, the assistant coaches, you discuss that with them, too, and what do we need to do, and what do you think we're not doing right? And, of course, you start to correct these things. I look at the offense. I look at the defense myself. I, I used to watch a television version of the game and then all the breakdowns that they give you and listen to what people that are broadcasting the game are saying, too. But these guys observe, too, and study the game and have their opinions, and sometimes their opinions are good. Sometimes you're too close to the game to really know what other people are thinking and saying. Now, obviously, you read the newspapers, and you, and you see what they're saying, but sometimes you say, oh, they don't know what they're talking about, okay? Uh, so, yeah, you do that, and then you go back, and and like we're talking about during this podcast, the containing portion of the defense. How can we fix that? How can we uh, fix uh, Marshall from getting get, or having more confidence so he didn't get as many passes? interference penalties uh how can we uh uh on the offensive side i noticed they've done this and let's talk about that they're running more from the single eye or the pistol offense where the backs are having a greater vision of the field now we've talked about that ryan how many years have i talked about running laterally and we've got to be able to uh say uh we've got to continue using sam donald whether you know we're taking a chance with him running or not, but if we're going to get better, we've got to hold the defense on the backside, and maybe on the backside we shouldn't use Sam Darnold as much, but what can we run to come back to the backside, off the pistol, off the eye, or or certain type of plays, counter plays, or fullback plays up the middle, or maybe we should run, uh, and how can we can improve our pass blocking when uh, Justice isn't playing? And, and all of these different type of questions, or uh, let me mention, I think the offensive line improved as far as Damian Mama being able to pull up the hole and, and find the linebacker to block or pick up the loose guy and play on the second level. You you, you look at all of these things to the how you gotta get better to beat a good team such as the University of Washington and you look forward to it. But you can't look there that far ahead. You gotta look now because you've got a game against Cal and you gotta be able to beat Cal. But all of these pieces work as far as getting ready to beat Washington. So, you know, it, it's a great process. It's a great challenge. I think Washington is a great football team. They're really coached well. I've got them high in my poll. In fact, in my personal poll, I've got them fourth. But, again, I question who they've beaten as far as down the way. Now, they've beaten some good teams, but they've had, I think, their first four home games were at home. Stanford, they really did exploit Stanford. Uh, they are... uh I can't remember the other team they beat, doggone it. But, but you know, they're good. They dismantle people, but they don't beat themselves. They execute. They're simple. They do, do a lot of things. They dominate the line of scrimmage. They can play a four-man front on defense and hold the line of scrimmage where you can't even run against it. These are the things you're going to have to learn to uh, compete, be physical, and go to Washington, overcome their 12th man or whatever you want to call it. Their crowds—it's a great stadium to play in—and win that football game. But before you do that, you got to get your fifth win. And and there's ways that they still got to improve on. If you're watching the game, like you can't be wasting timeouts. And again, this week they wasted two timeouts as far as not getting to play in on time. Well, you can't do that. That's another way the coaches can look at how can we improve ourselves—not to waste timeouts. So. You know, it's, there's a lot of little things that make up big things.
1: Speaking of uh, improving things, that we had a specific question on that from Tarek. He says, love what Sam Darnold brings to the offense, but what can he work on over the bye week?
0: Well, depending on how much uh, they're going to do, how, how much they're going to do, I think what he should do is go back and review all of his games. Watch himself from the first game when he started against Utah, I believe, and go through the whole process of going through and seeing what he's, how he's improved, how he's read the field, how they've given him better routes, and how they've been able to improve their pass offense. How he's been able to, uh, you know, run the football, hold the football, carry the football, eliminate fumbles, no turnovers this past game, which was tremendous. Uh, all those little things, drops, fakes, uh, uh, throwing the football, all the little things, I think that's what he has to do. And then don't just get, continually motivate him to get better and better and better. Now, you know, there's a place where you just can't get any better. You reach that point of where you're just, that's who you are. So you don't try to put pressure on him. You just let him play free. And that's why I think he started off as such a great live, uh, player in his first game. He didn't have pressure on him. Max Brown had pressure on him the whole time. Pressure on him the entire spring, the entire fall. The whole time he had pressure on him. that if I don't do everything right, everything right, everything right, I'm not going to start. Not going to start. He really didn't have the same let-go-free feeling. Like, let me get it done. Let me play football. But, again, I think they also have to keep Max in the mix, too you saw him come in the game and and play against Arizona and I don't know if he's playing with all the enthusiasm in the world he's got a different personality than Sam but I think you've got to keep him handy because if you're on the verge now of having a great season you know I I don't want to say or put this in anybody's mind but Sam might need to sit out a series so he might miss a quarter where you've got to have somebody come in and maintain the confidence of the team that you're going to win this football game it isn't going to be oh no it's got to be oh yes we're just as good so i think that part of it too has got to be really uh taken care of
1: uh we have a question nick from cyprus coach he says hey it's nick from cyprus so that's what i just said (laughs) he said hello since we got a bye week i'm curious what areas Do you improve on in practice for the team if you're the head coach? They have the, uh, they have taken your advice in using the tight end, playing better defense and running the ball. Thanks for what you do. So it's kind of along lines what we were just talking about coach, but in in practice specifically, is there there stuff you kind of do, uh, during the bye weeks?
0: Well, I think you got to work on your routes too. You got to work on your complementary routes against certain coverages. You've got to learn to, able to read the routes on the snap of the ball and understand who the primary receiver is going to be because you recognize what coverage they're running on the snap of the ball. And you got to have routes that uh, fit the uh, uh, secondary coverages. And, and don't get me wrong when I say this. We used to do a lot of that without even a football. we just line up against secondaries and line up against receivers and ready go. And they'd go and you'd see a coverage and you see it and you say, okay, it's a tight end. Okay, then you come back and you put a motion and say, oh, they're playing man. Okay, it's gonna be this again. That's where my primary receiver is. It's not there. I'm going to the backside. And I think they gotta work too on the backside receivers running hard routes when, when the, when there's a primary receiver they're throwing the ball to on the other side because they never know when he's gonna come back to you over there. And I saw that couple of plays this past weekend when the backside receivers weren't going full speed or weren't running their routes to hold their guys. So, I think a lot of that, and I think also what you got to work on, too, this guy's a scrambler. This guy runs around and finds receivers. So uh, Burnett did it. You saw the touchdown when he was scrambling around. Burnett was, was in the back of the end zone and came right back, threw the ball, and they had a touchdown pass. We didn't have anybody to throw to. So when you have a quarterback that's active like this, you've got to spend a lot of time, a lot of time, and say, hey, this guy's going to find me if I find the open hole. So you got to work on that, finding the open hole a lot when you're scrambling around and he he can get the ball to you. And I think another thing you can work on, too, is understanding where the down markers are and understanding how to run routes so that when you have a 12-yard route, you don't run it at 10. You run it at 13 and you come back to 11 and catch the football. All of these little things that sometimes you got to go back to and work during your bye week to improve on the techniques that are necessary for you to get better. That includes the offensive line, the defensive line, the whole package.
1: We got one last one for you, Coach. Greg in the OC, he says, Coach Helton wanted his team to play a complete game on Saturday with a big lead. When should a coach pull out key players during a game? Uh, Thanks as always, Greg from the OC. And this is something that came up on Twitter a lot, Coach. There were some arguments going back and forth. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, my feeling is, is we never substituted until I, the head coach, uh, said you could. Coaches would come over and say, Coach, can I put this guy And I'd say, not yet. I would never substitute that I felt we had to win. When I felt we had to win, the win was done, it was ours, then I would allow the substitution to start. Uh, not always did I mass substitute. Uh, like in the Max Brown situation, I think he should have had an opportunity to run a couple of series with the ones. The reason for that, you've got to be able to give him that opportunity to play with the ones if it ever becomes necessary. And then again, then you start, you know, with the other positions too, rotating them in to make sure everybody does play. Now, Max went into the game with about 12 minutes left in the football game, which gave him a lot of time to get some turns. But you can't punish him or not stay or allow him to get better because you're ahead and you don't want to lose the football game. You play to. Uh, continue to win not to protect not to lose so you got to let these guys play hard you got to continue the stunning if you're a defensive player you've got to be able to evaluate a player when he's going full speed with all the opportunities that you give the number ones to win by and do so on defense you continue continue playing the game plan if you're playing your ones or twos in there or a combination so that your twos can get a feel of playing with the ones and you can have a chance to evaluate just how they've come along or can they play at this speed of the game. But I think it's important to play uh, your, your players when there's a chance. Otherwise, they'll stand on the sideline and say, I'm never going to have a chance to play. But again, the win comes first. We don't jeopardize the win until we feel it's a, a victory for us, and then we go on and we try to do better.
1: Yeah, coach. And I agree with you with the, the Max Brown stuff. And, uh, we get, we get some questions on that. I think when my solo podcast, we had some questions where they want to see him get an opportunity to come in there and, and not just hand the ball off. You can do that in practice, throw the football around. So I would like to see that. I think this was, would have been a nice opportunity, uh, to see a little bit more of that here. Um, cause, you know, you want him to be ready. This whole offense, you know, Sam Darnold has made a huge difference, but, I think too much is – I mean, the, you're relying on Sam Darnold for a lot. If he goes down, uh, those games that you think you're you're probably going to win down the stretch, I don't know if you're going to unless you have Max Brown be ready because the offense just relies so much on Sam Darnold right now. I think that's what some of the fans are worried about. So I think your point of getting him first team reps uh, is, is a good one. I think USC definitely needs to do that.
0: I agree 100% because, hey, you know, this is the kid – that's a heck of a football player. This is a kid, supposedly at the beginning of the year, you couldn't decide as a football staff or a head football coach who's the best, Darnell or Brown. Now, if it was that close of a deal, then it should be still the same level of competition now that he still has that same type of ability to play. Well, then you've got to let this kid have that same type of opportunity and let him know you still have confidence in him. You didn't throw him under the bus. And right now, uh, I don't know. I watched him the last game again, and I know you do, and so on. It seems to be like a lost person. I mean, standing there, I don't even know if he was eating sunflower seeds the other day on the sideline or, uh, or ice. I couldn't see what it was. But, man, get involved in the game. Give him a headset. Let him chart the plays. Let him go right over to Sam Darnold. This is just a repeat I tell you every week, okay? Let him get into the game and know what the game's going If he needs to go in, he's got to know what the heck you guys have been talking about, the adjustment stuff during the game. So that's just me. Other people have their styles, but that's my style.
1: All right, Coach. Well, great stuff. Thanks again for uh, coming on the show. It's always fun.
0: Thank you very much, Ryan. And thank you all of our listeners out there for being a part of our show.
1: Yes. Thank you, guys. And uh, thanks to the coach. And we're not done yet. We actually have another guest. So we haven't—we don't usually do this anymore. We usually do a lot of individual podcasts. But thought we'd do kind of a double up with guests on Monday. We're going to have Paul Meyerberg from USA Today coming up in just a minute. We'll be back in a minute talking to Paul Meyerberg, USA Today college football writer.
2: You are listening to the Parastyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California.
1: It's time to get back to the Peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com. All right. We are back on the Peristyle podcast. Very special guest today on the podcast. We have Paul Meyerberg. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul Meyerberg, M Y E R B E R G. He does a great job covering college football for the USA today. He used to maybe remember him from his New York Times days. Uh, he was kind of the, the every man's college football writer because he would talk about all programs. He would do his top 128 uh, programs. It really does a good job talking about group of five teams when most people are focused on, of course, the Power Five. But Paul Meyerberg is joining the show. What's up, Paul? How you doing?
2: Hey, man. Thanks for having me on.
1: Uh, anytime, man. Uh, I got to. Uh, so I've never met you in person, but I, I get to know a bunch of the guys. I'm, I'm good friends with like Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel and stuff. And I heard you came on uh, the Audible with Bruce and Stu. I don't know, maybe it was a couple years ago. So then I found you on the football Four podcast so i've been listening to that lately so that's how i kind of oh great. how i get to know you paul
2: yeah that's how like this always works in this profession is that like you feel like you know people and you meet them like i'll see like for bruce and Stu, for example i'll see them once a year probably yeah. but you're still like hey man what's going on like I, i've been reading your stuff it's that weird kind of dynamic where you get to know people over social media more than you do actually in person
1: how have you uh liked the uh, football Four? Uh, podcast. It seems the format's changed a little bit because last year it seemed to be like there was four of you guys and you would all kind of take turns. Now it's like the Dan Wilkins show and he just has you guys it on is, every once a it
2: Yeah, it's changed. So last year it was like, hey, let's get on the podcast. We'll talk about two things. But let's also talk about anything else that we want to talk about. So they'd go on for like 45 minutes and probably have 20 minutes of football talk. And I like those. I'm sure our listeners, the few that we have and had didn't like it that much. But with Wolken <laughs> run the show, we are a, we are tight as a drum. We are a well oiled machine. We're like 25 minutes, five days a week, hit it, hit it, hit it. And then, uh, see you later. So not a lot of fluff. I think people probably like that. I, I mean, if you're in LA and you're in the car for two hours a day, I'm sure you could find 30 <laughs> minutes to listen to Wolken and George or I talk about college football.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's funny that the whole podcasting thing I wanted to, I mean, I like to have other podcast hosts uh, on the show. We started ours back in 2008, around the same time like the Solid Verbal guys started theirs, and uh, it was mostly because in LA it's such a professional sports town. You're getting Lakers talk or now Rams. Talk. I mean, the the radio is more about the professional teams than college, so that's why we kind of um, started this. But I wanted to kind of get you. And I I never really listened to podcasts until recently. Now I kind of listen to them in the car because you know. Radio just has too many commercials and stuff, but were you a consumer of podcasts before you started doing stuff with USA Today and the Football Four?
2: No, I really wasn't. And I've gotten to the point where I really, I really like listening to podcasts for the same reason you mentioned is that I can't stand listening to normal radio anymore. I really can't. Like, I can't listen to, like, you know, 100.7 anymore and, like, get eight minutes of stuff and then four minutes of commercials. I, I'm just like, I'm, it's like the TV thing. I can't watch ITVO stuff or I watch stuff on Netflix, so I can't. I can't consume advertisements anymore. So I didn't, I really, I didn't really, but I've gotten into it. I do, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of college football ones and some personal interest ones, but podcasts have changed. Like you're saying, I just spent 10 hours in the car going through West Texas this past weekend in Lubbock. And if I didn't have podcasts in the car, I mean, I'd probably, I'd be like in, I'd be in only Texas right now. Just like, I'm going to start a new life here. I can't keep driving.
1: Um, well, so when you came over from the New York Times, um it's kind of described because you i don't know if you you still do the the top 128 right that was kind of like your thing it seemed like where you would cover all the teams not just the very top ones
2: yeah like and i i remember i did go on bruce and Stu last i think it might have been around acc media days last year so that had been june or something june or july i remember telling the story about how i kind of got into this business and it started just like finding and this is and i i talked to College kids, whoever, reach out to me and and try to give them some nudges in the right direction. I I didn't feel like when you're not already working with a big name and you're kind of on the map, you got to find your niche and find ways to cover teams. I always found like everyone's writing about a certain number of teams. Let's try to do something that's a little bit different. Let's look at some other teams. Let's look at all 128 teams. Let's look at every conference. And that's kind of like you're saying it was the niche, and it's the way to get people to read. And then to build on that, it was, yeah, you're, it was kind of the building blocks to do the 1 through 128 and cover all 128 teams, do 128 team previews and give the whole map, you know, instead of just focusing on Pac-12 country, SEC country, Big 12 country, stuff like that.
1: You uh used to do, I know you used to do a site to pre-snap read, but I checked it out and it looked like, sort of like a... I think a... it's
2: been turned over to, uh, to Turkish... Uh, like, you know, <laughs> uh, adult entertainment, I think, is what Pre-Snap Read is at this point. Yeah, um,
1: I, it looked kind of like an Asian Viagra commercial, I thought, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, Wait, maybe don't it's term- go to it's- that
2: site. Let's just tell people, don't go to that site unless you're interested, in which case I would I would suggest going to Pre-Snap Read <laughs> for all your Asian uh, medical needs. But uh, don't go to that site. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I remember when I, like, left, when I got to USA Today, I, I wasn't able to keep doing it. And I was like, I could pay 500 bucks a year and keep it. Like as a as like reference material or like a resume and I was like, I'm not gonna do that. So I just gave it up. Okay. Sadly.
1: And you sold it to the Turkish uh I did for two dollars (laughs) and fifty cents.
2: I got it I got it appraised. And they were like, This website for all the two years of work, it's worth fifty cents. I said, All right, I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well let's
1: uh, well we wanted to talk about of course we're talking about college football, but uh USC first. Um it's been a really weird it's, it's always weird. You know, covering this team is just weird all the time. Uh, seven games in, they're four and three. Um, you know, getting blown out by Alabama, starting one and three. Um, you know, they, they bring in Sam Darnold. They've won three in a row. The, the rest of the Pac 12 looks fairly terrible. Um, but you know, now USC is kind of, is, is winning football games now. And that's, that's the whole nature of the business. That's what you want to do. Uh what do you kind of make of this first, you know, half of the season or a little little more than half of the season for the USC Trojans?
2: Yeah, you know, we we spoke off the air a little bit to start this when we were just kind of getting getting, you know, when we were connecting. But I think the idea that um it's just been it's been two seasons, obviously. Everyone knows that. You've got this three game winning streak, you've got the three losses in four games. Utah probably people if this continues will look back as a turning point, whether giving up that ninety three yard drive kind of put some jet and put some fuel in the engine or whether they were just sick of it. You know, maybe they'll look back on that as a moment where things kind of turned around. Um, this kind of needs to continue obviously for things to get straightened out from top to bottom. I mean, it's not good enough to just, you know, win three in a row and then all of a sudden split Cal and Oregon. That's just not going to fly. And I think if that happens, you'll hear those calls for Clay Helton kind of get renewed and they've been quieted a bit. Um, Sam Darnold obviously has injected something into this team, and it's whether or not that's because he's offensively what Clay Helton wants from his quarterback, offensively as a scheme. That's what they want to be. I think that's obviously the case. But, you know, it's hard for me sitting here right now to say, oh, this is the team that they're supposed to be. You know, it's just hard for me. I don't think we have enough. Arizona State was a good win. Colorado was a good win. Arizona's garbage. But I just I, I'm having a hard time getting – on the other side of the fence. I think like a lot of people I'm still straddling it. I don't know where you stand. I just I am having a hard time getting fully on board. But clearly, if any team in the country need a three-game winning streak, yeah, it would be Clay Helton and USC after Utah.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's hard and and you know, we talked about this offline too. The message boards are are kind of conflicted. There's the people that just don't want him Clay Helton to be the head coach and it doesn't matter what they do short of beating Washington. I I literally have people on the board tell me, Paul, that like, yeah, does does Clay have to win out and beat Washington and then go to the Rose Bowl to save his job? And I was like, well, <laughs> well, well no, it's his first year really and Washington's a top five team. But there are games on the the rest of the games outside of Washington, the four games Cal, Oregon, um UCLA and Notre Dame, they're almost like those are games USA probably doesn't have any business losing, right, Paul? I mean they're they're just they should win all of those games.
2: Yeah, based on what I've seen. Um I think Cal is gonna be interesting. Um, simply because I don't think there's any team in the country that's truly going to stop them. I know they're going to, fo- it's possible, uh, to force Davis Webb into mistakes. And that's been his MO going back to Tech, uh, Texas Tech. I mean, he was a guy that if you rattle them a little bit, um, when he was younger in particular, that there that he would force the ball and there'd be situations where if he was under pressure, that he'd make mistakes. Um, it's an interesting game. But other than that, you're totally right. UCLA is, I mean, UCLA is the Pac 12 in miniature to me right? I mean, (laughs) UCLA to me before the year started was a top 10 team. I thought they would win the Pac-12. And they're just a total disaster, totally irrelevant. It took them like three weeks, four weeks to become totally and utterly irrelevant. So yeah, I mean, these are all games they should win. And that's ridiculous because, and I have to admit that I was in that group three weeks ago or four weeks ago um, after Utah. Uh, I was among all the people just writing the obit for USC season and writing the obit for Clay Helton's tenure after four games in his first full season. So I'm as guilty of it as anyone. But at this point, um, you know, I, I just think that you're totally right. These are games. They should win on paper. They should win for the next five games. They should lose at Washington. Um, I, I, it's shocking to me because it would be a total change of a season from being dead in the water to being potentially the South champs, potentially getting a rematch with Washington to go to the Rose Bowl.
1: And, it, and when you look at the games that they lost, okay, Alabama, everyone loses to Alabama. And it was, you know, Absolutely. whatever. But Stanford's not very good. Like if I think USC played Stanford, like they thought they were Stanford, which they're not. If they, a lot uh-huh. of USC fans feel they played tomorrow, USC would win and they were beaten Utah by 10 or whatever. And then they had a blow on that. Like you talked about, I mean, This is a team that could have one loss, which it it just seems like light years away from the one and three start.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, everyone loses to Alabama. Like when teams lose to Alabama, I don't even like, I don't even think you should be upset. Yeah. I don't care if you lose 60 to nothing, 14, 13. You just go home and you're like, let's just not think about this. Let's just go to sleep and we'll wake up on Monday. Everything will be fine. I don't even fret that loss. Utah was winnable. Like Utah was totally winnable. And you're right with Stanford. Um, USC has had, I, I was at the uh, game they won at Stanford the last time they were there. That would have been 2014. And 2015, obviously, they, they always kind of play Stanford at least in the ballpark. Um, if they played tomorrow, I'd probably pick USC to win that game right now based on the way they have played and the way Stanford has looked. So, you know, it's it, it's a it's a frustrating team. Like, we're saying it like it's a good thing. I don't think that's a good thing. I think that's a frustrating and not a great thing to say that you should have won these games. All you can really say positive is that they lost some games they probably should have won. In those two games, specifically Utah, and now they're getting the job done. You know, and that's that's a positive. But you know, I don't. I would hate to think uh, to play that should be six in one game because that's that's a dangerous game. We'll leave that for your message boards.
1: Yeah, uh, some people are playing that, but it's you know, I think it's a nature of the Pac-12 is just so weird right now. I mean, there's a lot of really good coaches in the Pac-12. I thought they upgraded that uh, for sure, but you're looking at. I picked you know for the Pac-12 preseason media poll. I picked Stanford and UCLA, and that looks terrible right now. That's not, not yeah. obviously not happening. Stanford gets a good win against Notre Dame, you know, but they've scored one offensive touchdown in each of their last four games. Uh, the, the game they win is the one when Christian McCaffrey's out, so I don't know what to make of that. But um, it just looks like outside of Washington, even Utah—that's the only other ranked team—you know—they're kind of shaky too. I, what do you make of the Pac-12 right now?
2: Yeah, I remember two two years ago, the year Oregon played Ohio State, talking to people near the end of that season, like right as they're getting into bowl play, maybe November, early November, <laughs> mid-November, talking to people for a story that wrote, essentially, the Pac-12 might be the best conference in college football. And I think that there were some numbers that backed it up. I mean, you look at the metrics, looked how they played a non-conference play, you go back to the previous bowl season, how they played. And I think that was a you could have made a realistic case. I don't know if it was true, but you could at least make the case and not look like an idiot. Um, it's since that point, they reached that point and they didn't build on it. And right as of now, I, I think the Pac-12 is the fourth best power five league in the country because obviously SEC, I think ACC is really good. Uh, Big 10 is fantastic. And then you have Pac-12. It's a stunning fall to me and it's, it, it, it's shocking to me that it was not sustainable that they got to a point under Larry Scott where it was competitive as a league nationally. And now it's it's kind of a joke of a league. And and I'm not like people are laughing at them, but to put them against the SEC or another Power 5 league outside of the Big 12 is kind of laughable because it's Washington. I mean, Utah's fine. Colorado's a nice story. Washington State still lost to an FCS team. Stanford has been terrible. Oregon obviously is under extreme duress. UCLA is the biggest disappointment in the country. Yeah. It's disappointing to say the least that at this point in the season you're at mid-October and your college football playoff hopes hinge on one team because you can't really believe in Utah run the table one team and and that's just not going to fly because every other league has multiple petrol just has one team it's shocking to me
1: yeah the uh the Washington State story is one of the more interesting ones with you know two years in a row losing to an FCS team and people tell me oh Eastern Washington's pretty good you know Boise State's obviously a good team but for them to be undefeated in Pac-12 play and, you know, beating the Oregons and Stanford's and stuff like that, but losing to Eastern Washington and losing to Boise State, I mean, that's obviously, that doesn't help the Pac-12 at all when when you go out and lose those big out-of-conference games or, or bad out-of-conference games and then beat everyone else in the conference.
2: Yeah, can you imagine if, like, in early December, you're at... I don't know if it's at Levi Stadium or wherever. You're, you're at Levi Stadium and it's Washington State USC to decide who goes to the Rose Bowl. Can you imagine? (laughs) Like, if you had thought about that in September, people, someone would have said, you're, you're insane. And that's like, that's a, that's a realistic chance this happens. Yeah. That it's Washington State Apple Cup, Washington State Washington to decide which team, uh, represents the North in the Pac-12 title game. I mean, that, that just goes to show how crazy this league is. Um, that you had two, I think Stanford and UCLA, they were both top 10 to start the year. I mean, I don't know if Stanford was. UCLA might have been the low teens, probably, yeah. right? I can't remember. But yeah, both of those teams were the hang your hat on these teams for the Pac-12, and now they're both uh, you know, on ESPN News at 10.15 <laughs> on a Saturday night. It's just its ridiculous. The whole thing is crazy. College football is anarchy and chaos, and nowhere more so than in the Pac-12.
1: The, uh, I thought, the, so everyone roots for anarchy and chaos, which is, it's, that's kind of, of why if you're a college football fan, that's what you do. Um, I wanted to get your take on the group of five because, you know, Tom Herman, you know, this is the biggest news in college. Football. You know, everyone, every, any job that opens Purdue opens up, whoever it opens up, it's going to be Tom <laughs> Herman. Um, but you know, they end up losing to Navy, uh, you know, close call this past weekend. Um, Houston was going to be the darling that could make, you know, they beat Oklahoma, they could make it to the college football playoff. That's not happening. Is there any chance of a group of five kind of getting in there? You, you know, you got like the Pac-12 down, maybe Washington loses the game and they could be out or, or or the, you know, the Big 12. Could a group of five teams still make the college football playoff this year?
2: No, it's it, Houston had really had the only chance and really Houston's uh, candidacy was built on the fact that they won the Peach Bowl last year and that they were ranked high to start the year. So they they had won the battle of public opinion before kickoff. And that that's really what you need as a group of five team. For now, it's down to Boise and uh, Western Michigan. I was at the Boise uh, Washington State game. Boise is a really nice team. I think I had them in my I think they're number 10 in my poll. But you can't put them in at the end of the year. Their best win is going to be Washington State. Uh, they're going to play BYU. They'll play a San Diego State team. That's pretty good in the Mountain West title game. But it's too far-fetched to to picture a 13-0 Boise team, and likewise with Western Michigan. Though uh, the Broncos did beat two Big Ten teams, and we won't mention that one of them was Illinois, but they did beat two <laughs> Big Ten teams. But they, not this year. Houston was really the best hope for, it. and honestly, Houston is probably going to get the Access Bowl if they run the table. I'm not sure if they're going to, but if they run the table, beat Louisville to end the year, uh, they'll get that Access Bowl and go to I think it's Fiesta this year. I'm actually I actually have no idea where the Access Bowl is, but um it could be it could still be Houston and if you're USC you probably want Houston to lose another game just to make sure that the uh Tom Herman is available in early December
1: <laughs> it's funny well i mean i want to talk about that because when that when you know USC was in those you know when the LSU job came open and there's a lot of USC connections there with Ed Orgeron and uh you know people kind of rooting for him and one of the themes on the message board was hey you got to root for Orgeron just so he gets the job so they won't take Tom Herman then once hmm. Texas opened up that seemed to be like the one job, like the one place where, look, if if both teams made a full court press, he would probably end up at Texas uh, over USC. But if something crazy happens and USC does end up looking for a job and they're in the Tom Herman sweepstakes, do you, who do you think they would be able to compete against with the jobs that are open or potentially open and and, and get them, assuming they went after him hard like the other schools would?
2: Yeah, I, I think it would come down to Texas and SC. I, I really do. And it really depends who you speak with, who's, who's around Herman or, or has maybe some insight into his mindset. If, if, if you talk to two people and you're in a room with two people and you say you first, that person may say, um, Tom Herman, the greatest trick Tom Herman ever pulled was being a Southern California guy, uh, convincing everyone he was a Texan, right? Because yeah. if you ask people in that state, he's been at Sam Houston, he's been at Rice, he recruited Texas at Iowa state. You obviously got JT Barrett out of out of Wichita falls, Texas, when he's been at Ohio state at Houston. Uh, th- there are people there who think that his ties to that state s- just surpass anything else in terms of where he grew up, where he might want to live, where he wants to recruit from that guy will say, Texas is where he wants to be. And I don't disagree with that, that logic at all. I've heard it several times. I think it has a lot of uh, validity to it. Then again, you'll ask another person, you'll say, Hey, uh, Cal Lutheran, uh, from the area, knows the region. Hasn't recruited it obviously, but he knows the potential there. He sees a road there that's easier to hoe than a road at Texas. Not just recruiting in state, but you know, building that program back up, all that jazz. So, really, I I hear both those points of view, and they both have a lot of validity to them. Um, for me, uh, I would put those two schools up there, and I'd put the, uh, a potential LSU opening a little bit below both of them. But for USC, if two jobs are available, Texas is the big elephant in the room. I think that's where the competition will come from. And uh, I probably would give Texas the edge, honestly. But USC, uh, people who like, don't think USC is like this amazing job, who like every time it comes open, they poo-poo it, get real. This job is elite. It's legit. I mean, it's one of the best jobs in the country. And Tom Herman is a smart guy. And believe me, uh, he might, he's obviously not going to say it publicly, but he knows how good a job UFSC is. And, uh, if it's open, there's going to be interest because he's too smart not to have interest and not to have a conversation.
1: We, you know, even USC fans, Paul, are, are like, why would a coach want to come to USC? They fired. And it's funny. It's like, well, and to their credit, the USC administration has not been treating it like it's the greatest job when you hire, you know, Kiffin, Sark, and Clay Helton—that you're not going out and getting the biggest names out there. You're getting guys that you knew would tell you yes, that you're familiar with already. So, in that, you know, in that vein, it's like, yeah, USC's not really treating it like it's a great job. We're we're assuming that USC realizes, hey, this is a great job. We're going to go try to get the best candidate possible, which I think is a big assumption. And then the other one being, it doesn't look like the job's going to be open anymore because they've turned it around and the teams on their
2: schedule aren't very good. Yeah, and that's actually interesting to say that the the fans feel that way. So, I mean, part of that is being beaten down a little bit, you know, and and I think that is it's it's actually that's a that's a familiar sentiment to me. I remember um, being at the Big Ten title game when Ohio State beat Wisconsin a couple years ago, and when Nebraska hired Mike Riley, the feeling that oh, like. From that fan base of, oh, what did you expect? Woe is us. Obviously, I thought it was a great hire at the time. and It looks good right now. But that's the same idea that that program had been beaten down because they had gone through three misguided hires, I think. Solich, Callahan, Pelini. And they had that feeling of, this is probably the best we could do. And I think that's that's a bad sentiment to have because it kind of misses the forest for the trees. Because you're looking at what's right in front of you. Yes, we've struggled recently. Yes, we've made some... Some shaky hires. We've made mistakes among the coaching fraternity. And I think you know it as well. Among the fraternity, USC is still an elite job. And that's really all that matters. Whether USC goes out and wants to get that elite guy, that's on them. But elite guys, elite guys are interested in USC because it is an elite job. It's an elite location with elite history, elite pedigree, elite recruiting ground, opportunity to win immediately. You ask guys what's important. That's it. One, two, three, four, five. That's what they want. USC can offer.
1: Um, I kind of missed this when you said you were at the Boise State Washington State game. It didn't really, it didn't hit me like Washington State just lost to Eastern Washington, and you, so you must have already had your plane tickets. Like that was, I
2: did. I did. <laughs> it's those things like you 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 think you map out earlier in the year. You're like, oh, I want to write a Brett Ripon story, right? And then you're like, oh, but then Washington State might be a good story. Then they lose to Eastern Washington, and and we're still a newspaper. We we can't we can't eat plane tickets, you know. So go out to Boise. Hey, it's a nice place. It's a cute stadium. It's got, it's got blue, uh, really well coached. Brian Harson in a couple of years, maybe USC, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's tough. It's tough to go to watch a Washington state team that's coming off a loss to Eastern Washington. That's why we get paid so much money.
1: When, uh, <laughs> when, I think it was you guys talking about it, that the blue, maybe for, it could be something else. It might be a different podcast. The blue turf where they have to, Clean like, maybe it wasn't. They clean the birds off like almost on a daily basis because birds, birds die, thinking they're diving into a lake or something or a pond. Yeah, is that true do. or like what's that? This?
2: Is absolutely one hundred percent true. I don't know if they have to do it daily, but I will guarantee you that at least a couple times a season, if not like once a week, once a week and a half, some poor guy will have to go out with a shovel and a bucket and pick up a, a bird that was like, "I'm going to go and take a little." You know, dunk myself with this water right here and just go splat onto a blue turf. Um, yeah, that's, it's bad for the birds, but it's good for Boise State. But yeah, birds die there all the time. That's wow. just, I can't uh, believe Peter's,
1: Peter's not all over them or?
2: I, <laughs> let's not let them know about that. Let's okay. keep Peter out of college football. I mean, let's have one area where we can have live tigers and live <laughs> steers and buffaloes running around just like crazy. Let's just not tell Peter about the dead birds. <laughs> Yeah,
1: they probably don't listen to uh, the Football 4 Parastyle podcast. <laughs> I, doubt it. I doubt
2: it. I uh, doubt w- it.
1: One last thing, Paul, before we let you go. I wanted to uh, – my wife's a, a Tennessee grad. Um, I've, I usually try to go to a game with her once a year down in uh, in Knoxville or wherever we end up going. And I, I love I ha- going to SEC I stuff. have
2: noticed this. I have noticed that your wife is a huge Tennessee fan. Uh, and it seems like she's going to games. Is that right? I don't, it's hard to tell on Twitter, but is she going out to Knoxville like a couple times a year, more she, than once a year?
1: She went to the Bristol one. Um, so, oh, they, okay. yeah. So she ended up getting a credential. She was broadcast journalism at Tennessee. So she's helped me on the site doing like, uh, marketing stuff. She used to do some video interviews like back in the day, like she interviewed like Clay Matthews when, you know, in the locker room and stuff, but she's a fan, fan of Tennessee. And, uh, so it was hard for her to like actually cover. A game because she's a fan. So I'm like, honey, you know, you can't, you can't be like a fan. You're, you're in the press box, which the press box was like two miles away. So maybe, I don't, maybe you could cheer at Bristol in the press box, but, um, but anyway. So like when I talked to her about it, I, I've gone to the Alabama game, Tennessee Alabama game a couple of years ago. She was trying to make it out for this last weekend. It didn't work. Um, but you know, at the time when, when she first moved out here and stuff, it was kind of the SEC winning championships with all these different teams and they really cheer for. The conference, you know, and you're Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. you're cheering, whatever for Alabama. It just didn't make sense as someone on the West Coast. It, you don't hear that when USC was winning titles, you know, Oregon fans were not rooting for USC and, and <laughs> uh, USC fans definitely were not rooting for Oregon in the championships games they went into. But now I don't know if that's going to change because it's not like the conference is good anymore. It seems like it's Alabama that's really good and they just beat everybody else and they're the only team that's ever made the playoff. What have you sensed that at all or what's your sense of like, Alabama now kind of dominating the SEC.
2: Yeah. Let, well, for starters, there's nothing that will ever kill this SEC fandom. I mean, <laughs> Alabama could not allow a point all season. They could embarrass you. They could beat – they could win at Florida – Um Take a Florida Gators flag, light it on fire, <laughs> stomp on it at midfield, throw their helmets into the crowd, tear down the goalpost. But when they play Ohio State to decide the national championship, those Gator fans are going to be all about SEC, 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 <laughs> and Alabama. Really? So no, wow. That has okay. a, oh yes, absolutely. That that'll never die. It's. I do think that the gap right now between Alabama just seven games, but we've all seen these seven games. These have not. This these have been seven games by Alabama that have almost defied the imagination about how they've dominated teams. Um I think the gap right now between Alabama and the rest is as steep as it's ever been with the rest of the SEC. I think this Alabama team is unbelievable good. I mean just right now the way they're dominating. We'll see A and M, so maybe I'll hold my breath until Saturday. But the way they've just torn through Arkansas, Ole Miss, um, you know, all these kind of ranked teams, at least at the time, what they did to SC up. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the gap is enormous. The gap is enormous. And I, and I think Alabama, after what they did on Saturday against Tennessee, um, I had some doubts about whether they or Ohio State were the best team in the country. I think it's Alabama number one with the bullet right now. And it, and it, it won't matter the rest of the way. If they, if they go 15 and 0, it's going to be a, they're going to give out 14 championship rings. Every SEC program <laughs> gets one if Alabama wins. Even, even Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt still wears their five. Nick Saban championship rings on their on their hand, you know. <laughs> so it's a shared thing, and it's it's unlike anything else in college football. I mean, there's no other like conference, you know, cheerleaders like in the SEC, and it's and it just doesn't. It's totally unique.
1: it's it funny. Um That you know, I think Alabama's like a fourteen point favorite or something over a and is that is that right? I mean, something crazy like that.
2: Oh really? I mean, look, I don't like. I'd probably take
1: oh, Alabama sorry. minus
2: fourteen, but uh, I think Alabama. Yeah, they should be minus 10 to minus 14. That's probably fitting, even though A&M, what is number six in the country? There yeah. you go. That's how, that's what people think about Alabama.
1: That's the kind of gap. Um, and then what the Lane Kiffin thing is funny too. I mean, he gets to go on his, you know, reunion tour or, you know, whatever places that he left or got fired from and just give USC and Tennessee a beatdown. I, I didn't think he would last three years there. Um, I certainly, you know, I, I didn't think it would be enough to, to, kind of rejuvenate his career but it seems like he can get up for a a big head coaching job now I don't do you feel that way or what's the the future for Lane Kiffin
2: yeah I think it's he's absolutely rehabilitated his image you know and and you've met with Lane and you know Lane and and you know what kind of personality he has I think it's a matter for him clearly like if when they open up the president of state job I mean they're going to They'd be ecstatic if Lane took that job. And, yeah. and he's got ties there, obviously. And that's a job he could get with his eyes closed. But if you were talking about a power five job. I think a lot of it um, for Kiffin's going to come down to when he sits in a room with whether it's an AD and a president or it's the search firm or whoever is kind of talking on behalf of the university to Lane Kiffin about an opening, whether it's casual or official. I think it's really going to come down to what they sense about how he's grown since SC um, how he feels about, like, the general program-wide management, if he's going to want to have, like, call his own plays still, that kind of minutia, even that small. Um, I think he's got to prove that he's evolved as a head coach, learning from Saban about how to be a CEO. Um, if he can prove that, I mean, there are 64 Power 5 jobs. You tell me there's not one out there that's going to want a guy who coached at Tennessee, coached at SC, was an offensive coordinator for a national title team in Alabama. I mean, I think he can get his job as long as he can show that he's grown up and that he's ready to accept the responsibility. You know, I I think he's definitely in the mix for, you know, five to six jobs theoretically if they all open up.
1: Yeah, the head coach of the Raiders too. I I think it's just um, the Raiders, of course. Yeah, I mean, oh, you forget that it was like he was thirty yeah. years old or whatever. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of like what are his expectations though? I think before the gap between what he expected and what was out there. Was pretty wide. I think it's narrow. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's closed though completely. Like he might not want to even think of a Fresno State kind of job. You know, I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, I don't think he would want to. I really don't think he would. And that's not, that's just my perception of it. I don't think he would look at that and say, this is what I worked for. You know, look at my resume. This is where I'm going, Fresno State. Um, it would be really interesting. And I think he obviously would be enormously disappointed if December came and the places that Became open that he thought that he had a shot at. Um, he was not really in the running for it. Would it would raise the question of whether he would go back to Alabama for another year or take that Fresno job? Um, I, I think that he's better than Fresno, but you know, with his history, and you know, and I know he's got great stops, but not great success with his history. It may be a Fresno State. And that's gonna be one of the great storylines. I think of that off season. I mean, of the end of the regular season, rather, and kind of as you get into the silly season. Um, is where Kiffin's stock is nationally. I like him as a coach. If he is ready to, this is really kind of rude, and I don't want to demean him at all. But if he's ready to be a grown-up head coach and be a guy who is not just an offensive mind, not just centered on one thing, and is able to like, communicate better and be a CEO kind of chief of everything and delegate, I think it's a good hire because he obviously can recruit. He knows how to develop players, especially on offense, and, and you know he's earned it. You know he's earned it just at Alabama alone.
1: And then does Sark move over and take over the offensive coordinator job at Alabama? Yeah, I'd,
2: I'd be like ninety-nine percent sure that as long as all things kind of work out with him as he's doing like analyst job, and he clicks with Saban, and he kind of buys into the into the image of what Saban wants offensively, I'm, I'd be really confident that he would be the guy who would step in.
1: Paul Meyerberg does an amazing job covering college football for the USA Today. Follow him on Twitter at Paul Meyerberg. M Y E R. B-E-R-G. Paul, thank, I mean, I had a lot of fun. I hope you did too. And thanks so much for coming on our little show here.
2: Yeah, that was great, Ryan. Let's do it again soon. Best of luck to you guys. And uh, hopefully it's, you know, hopefully it, it keeps going. Let's just say that. Hopefully yeah. it keeps going. I know you'd want to be like, either be terrible or be great. <laughs> and there's no middle ground. But hopefully the uh, Trojans keep going and, and things go well for you guys.
1: Well, thanks so much, Paul. I really appreciate Paul Meyerberg, USA Today. Uh, thanks, Paul, for coming on. Thanks for Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment and everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at one 800 888 7287 one 800 888 7287 That's one 800 or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater.
0: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting.